Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. In today's episode, acclaimed author Kate Mildenhall will be cross-examining Christian White and Anna Downs about their new novels. Anna Downs' novel, The Shadow House, is a crime thriller that follows single mum Alex as she flees an abusive relationship and seeks sanctuary with her teenage son and baby daughter in an idyllic eco-village in rural New South Wales. At first, the residents seem welcoming and friendly, but when sinister packages start turning up at her door, Alex realises that in escaping her own shadowy past, she may have stumbled into someone else's, and this time, there may be nowhere to run. Christian White returns with his third book, Wild Place, a white-knuckled descent into a street near you. It's set in an idyllic Australian suburb in 1989, when satanic panic was sweeping the globe. When a local teen goes missing, and rumours of satanic rituals start to spread in the community, schoolteacher Tom Witter becomes convinced he holds the key to the disappearance. Both novels ask, why do good people do bad things? Before we start, a quick reminder. As this is a recording of an event held live via the internet, there's been some impact on the sound quality of the episode. And now, he's the host of the event, Readings Bookseller, Mari Matteson. Welcome, everyone. My name's Mari, and I help organise a number of the events at Readings, usually at Readings Carlton in the store, but for the last year and a half from here on my lounge room floor. You're going to be listening to some great people speaking tonight. We're going to start with Kate Mildenhall, who's going to wrangle the whole thing. Just before I introduce you to Kate, who will introduce you to our fantastic authors about to be quizzed, I think I would like to stop and acknowledge that this evening we are meeting on the lands of the peoples of the Kulin Nations, the Wurundjeri, Wairarung, the Bunurong, Bunwarung, and they're all members of the Eastern Kulin Nation. They have been the traditional owners of this land since time immemorial. It has always been Aboriginal land. Land has never been ceded. It continues to be their land. And we acknowledge that this is their land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, to all First Nations elders who might be here tonight or who may see this any other time. And we say thank you. Tonight we'll be listening to Kate, actually. You're not going to hear from me again. This will be it. Kate Mildenhall is a writer who lives on the outskirts of Melbourne. Her debut novel, Skylarking, was published in Australia by Black Ink in 2016, longlisted for the Boss Literary Prize 2017, shortlisted uh, for the Readings Prize. I know that prize. I work at Reading. <laughs> She's had many fellowships. The second novel, The Mother Fault, was published by Simon Schuster in 2020 and has done wonderful things. So on behalf of the firm press and readings, love to welcome Kate Milton Hall. Thank you so much for your acknowledgement. Yes, I'm joining you um, and the other Melbournians too on the edge um, of Melbourne, Nam on unceded Wurundjeri land, and I too pay my respects. It's so exciting to have these two people in the room. It's a perfect night for us all to be at readings in Carlton, but that will happen at another time. Uh, these two, Anna Downs and Christian White, have done more than their fair share of kind of lockdown celebrations. So we need to really bring the vibe for them tonight. And when they do finally get out and about, you can mob them, I think, and, and they'll enjoy it. We will love <laughs> it. Welcome it. Bring it on. 
bring it mm. on. Uh, allow me to introduce them to you. Anna Downs is, was born and raised in the UK, where she hasn't been able to go for a while, but I hope you get there soon. She now lives north of Sydney with her husband and two kids. She worked as an actress for both uh, stage and screen before turning her attention to writing, and we are all ever so glad that you did, Anna. Anna's best-selling debut novel, behind me on one side, is The Safe Place, which was published, like, everywhere at the same time with kind of Harry Potter kind of vibes. Um, <laughs> Mid-last year, deep in pandemic land. Uh, the Shadow House is her second novel and it's fabulous. Welcome, Anna. Thank you, Kate. And Christian White, pub date today, is an internationally best-selling and award-winning Australian author and screenwriter. His debut novel, The Nowhere Child, won the 2017 Vic Premier's Literary Award, was followed by his second novel, The Wife and the Widow. Um, and like Anna, Christian has more than one creative string to his bow. Uh, he also writes for Screen, so a feature film relic and uh, which premiered at Sundance in 2020. And with Tony Ayres, he wrote the recent Clickbait, which nearly everyone in the world has seen on Nick Netflix. And mm -hmm. Christian lives uh, in Melbourne with his jungle and wife and mm -hmm. greyhound. <laughs> you too. Welcome, Christian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It Thank really you. is a power duo that we've got and you know these two were already going hell for leather before before we started uh pressed record and let you all in there's also very spooky kind of thematic crossover that happens between these two amazing books wild place in the shadow house and it's incredible that martin is here from a firm because i did actually want to ask that maybe he put in a brief to you two to kind of coincide with halloween this year just to bring out these slightly spooky page turners is that the case I actually think he got scared early on. Mm. Uh, he's right here, so it feels weird talking to talking for him. <laughs> we're all friends here. Yeah. But, but I think he got scared early on about how similar they were. But I guess maybe organically, or maybe he is the master manipulator. But I think they sort of, they, uh, you know, they sort of went like this. I, th I think so. Maybe he'll be able to answer that. I think, uh, yeah, he definitely said that they were in very, very scarily similar places, but I don't know how he was restrained enough to not say anything um, mm. as we kind of both went off in, in, thankfully, very different directions. But those kind of core themes and ideas are definitely still there. And it was an amazing thing because Christian and I have, have chatted all the way through mm. the process of writing both these books, never explicitly talking about what exactly we're mm. writing about. And then reading each other's books, it was just like, oh my God, like mm. it's, it's very eerie. But then we have at, at this point discovered about each other that we are kind of brain twins. So it doesn't surprise yeah. us. I love yeah. it. That's that's what you yeah, can put on the um, next releases, okay? Yeah, or when they go, they go to the B format. So you're both very <laughs> seasoned professionals, and they are deeply satisfying. These two books, in the way that they um, are similar, but also very different. Um, I know you're also both a little bit competitive, and so I want you to give us the pitches for your for your two books, and I want you to acknowledge that some members in our audience tonight may have only budgeted to buy one of your books. So mm. no pressure, but let's let's make this a little bit competitive if we can. So if you're going to buy one book, just don't bother with Wild Place. <laughs> just buy Anna's <laughs> mindset. No, no, um, no. Uh, Wild Place is a um. It's a, a thriller about a, a girl who goes missing at the, in the, the late 1980s at the height of the satanic panic, um, which for those who don't know was this wave of uh, sort of mass hysteria that swept um, 
the world, really, predominantly the US, obviously, uh, but it also made its way over here. Um, and yeah, setting that kind of weird, um, now thinking about, it's, it's weird, I don't know if you find this, Anna, but afterwards, when you finished writing something is when you realise kind of what you're writing about. Or And so lately I've been kind of trying to process it. And, you know, the 19, late 1980s was this weird, there was this weird tension where on one hand you were really free. You could you could kind of, there were no mobile phones, you could kind of go off and do whatever you wanted. But on the other hand, there was stranger danger and, and safe houses and neighbourhood watch and things like that. So it sort of, um, it all just uh, plays with all... Um, all that sort of stuff. I, I, I am a very, very bad at pitching myself. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Christian, excellent. Okay, maybe a little more concise, but but terrific. Um, we'll see what the hands up are at I'm the not, end. Yeah, if it's one word, no <laughs> one would describe me as is concise. So I apologise in advance. No worries. You've got other, you know, qualities. Anna Downs, pumped up. Let's go. What is the Shadow House? I should say that there's um, there's also lots of uh, creepy things in my book. Uh, what else? There's You've got to do. It's farmers, the timing. But... It's it's that acting training. It's yeah. That, yeah. that was. I wish I hadn't have gone first. Listen, thank God the acting training came in handy somewhere. Yep. Hey, very expensive. So. <laughs> now tell me, Anna, you mentioned then about those boxes, and I know that people always want to know where these books came from. So I know in terms of inspiration, you had two very specific pieces of inspiration that kind of knocked up against each other yeah. to spark this book. Tell us where it started. All right. So uh, the first, the very first seed of inspiration came from a coffee date. I had with a close friend um, and she's a single mum and she had uh, a teenage boy at the time and she was really emotionally honest with me and she was kind of saying Anna you know we were this little team of two me and my son and we were best friends and we got on so well and then just lately I just feel like I don't know who he is he's aggressive we, we, we clash all the time uh, I just don't know how to communicate with him anymore um, and she said to me, she goes, sometimes, she goes, it's an awful thing to say, but sometimes I feel like he's possessed. I feel like he's, he's, he's just this demon. It's just horrendous. I don't know who he is anymore. I don't recognize him or our relationship, excuse me. And I was like, wow, 
you know, at the time my kids were so small and, and so kind of in love with each other. And I just thought, God, is that going to happen to us? How, how, how difficult is that going to be? Like, Jesus, teenage years. Ah, so I kind of started thinking about that and about the struggles of um, a single mum trying to navigate um, the teenage years. But because at the time I was also sort of going through sleep deprivation myself, I was like, wouldn't it be cool to create this um, protagonist who has a teenage son and a new baby? So she's sleep deprived and going through the teenage years, you know, like, just trying there's to your heart right there yeah well ex- exactly right exactly right and there's a, there there is obviously I love my kids you know there's a whole lot of joy in motherhood and parenthood but there's a lot of horror specifically in uh you know those sleepless nights and and the neuroses that come with that so that was seed number one seed number two uh was when my brother-in-law came to stay with my sister and he walked in the door and he went Anna have you heard about these dark web mystery boxes and I was like what? Hold the phone, sit down, get a cup of tea first, ease me in. And um, he showed me on YouTube all these videos of these, I don't know if you were aware, uh, a few years back, there was a kind of unboxing trend. So these teenage girls would be Mm. videoing themselves, pulling out, uh, you know, getting packages through the mail, and they might be unboxing like the new iPhone or the new Gucci bag or, um, you know, some makeup. But this this is like that, but it was these YouTubers who were ordering things. They were going into the dark web and they were going onto these dark web marketplaces and they were ordering mystery boxes. So uh, you don't know what's coming and you pay an inordinate amount of Bitcoin for them. And when they arrive, they, they have these very strange, mysterious things in them, like, for example, a flash drive, uh, a, a ball of twine, uh, a child's backpack, some creepy photographs that, you know, look a, a little bit, it's like a house. I don't know, like a, a, an old caravan, maybe. Um, some of them had used underwear and weird things like that. Some of them just had like a plastic bag, you know, it, mm. it was. And so all of these videos were like these people going, what are these things? Are they contraband? Are they things that people have tried to sell and can't? Are Mm. they evidence of something? So there's all these kind of narratives built around, you know, on Reddit and stuff. Like, what are these things? Who's sending them? And I was just completely pulled in by it, going, this is fascinating. So then I fell down this dark web rabbit hole. And I'll just leave that there because I love I love a good rabbit hole. I love a good rabbit hole. Christian, what about you? What took you down to this place in um, this little suburban street in 1989 specifically? Tell us what was the inspiration for your book. Yeah, I think it was a couple of things sort of coming together. So I, I, I've wanted to write about that era for a long time, wanted to set something there. And I knew I wanted to write about Satanic Panic. Uh, for years, I've wanted to write about Satanic Panic, but it always seemed like this sort of um, seemed sort of silly. As, and I couldn't I couldn't find a way in, and, and I couldn't find an angle because it just seemed so ridiculous to me. And then, um, and then I started to. I guess it was a few years ago when suddenly there was this rise. You know, QAnon was suddenly everywhere, and then the pandemic hit, and there were. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton was drinking children's blood and, and Bill Gates was putting tracking devices in, in the vaccine and, and all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden I began to, um, I guess, kind of empathise with, I definitely don't agree with those people, but empathise with, with what they were going through. And I think because I think everyone experienced this where it wasn't, suddenly it wasn't just 
crazy people saying these things. It was your your aunt on Facebook and your your friend that, as far as you knew, was a completely normal person. So all of a sudden, I was I was interacting with these people. Um, and first, I had huge arguments with them, and, and you know, I'd send them links to fact checking websites, and they'd send me back, yeah, but who's checking the fact checker? You know, I got into all these arguments, like so many of us did. But then I started to sort of empathize and, and begin to think, just kind of wonder why they were being like this. And, and I think I kind of cracked it. I think I know why. I think it was because um, I think it's when people are really scared and outraged and and troubled, they they want someone to blame, but they're all, uh, they're also in this state where your um, your standards of evidence sort of drop. So they mm. they just wanted to believe stuff, and the way um, the way conspiracy, the way goods conspiracy theories are strung together, they're sort of this. They 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 take three or four facts and then they just string them together with bullshit, you know. And then I was I was really obsessing about this and thinking about this, and then suddenly it just sort of clicked that this is just an evolution of satanic panic. And suddenly I kind of got it, you know. And and then I had um, very quickly after that I had the main character in mind, which was just this very um, ordinary middle aged guy who who would get um, sort of swept up in it. I suppose. Mm. And it's incredible actually that now that you're talking about it, the the resonance in reading the book at this particular time is exactly that. You're watching this very tight-knit little community, which we've all kind of in a way come to be part mm. of even more so while we've been at home, and the way that it just kind of morphs and changes. I wanted to ask you both about those settings, um, very intimate kind of neighbourhood settings with some very strong personalities in them as well. What do, maybe Christian, if you can start, what does that offer you as the writer in terms of a cast and you know secrets and misunderstandings? What's the joy of writing a community like that? Yeah, I think that the, I mean, the, the first great thing is you've got the more characters you have, the more red herrings you have. Yes. Um, but there's also something for me. There's something interesting about um, about communities of sort of seemingly average uh, people. Um, uh, none of my characters, I don't think, uh, are, are inherently evil. I've never written a sort of a serial killer book or anything like that. Um, none of my characters are really evil or good. They're just kind of that very human middle ground. So I think. Um, yeah, I think pop, yeah, having a little community, a little tightly knit community, allows you to sort of explore that. But also, um, there's this sense that, well, it, you know, if something goes wrong, if someone in our community did something horrific, and maybe they're they're living among us, they're living next door. There's these monsters around us, and that's just um, that's a really uh, terrifying thing for me. I, I think that um, I, I think one of my greatest fears. Is is finding out the people closest to me are lying about something or aren't who they say they are or have these horrific secrets because I continuously write about that. That's all I seem. I'm mm. one trick pony, really. I write about the exact same thing every time. So I think it must be this this fear. Um, and yeah, I know your question was about community. I'm trying to get it back in my head, but maybe uh, I answered. Maybe I answered some of the yeah, areas. Yeah, it's great. And uh, what about yours? Because yours is. Um, you know, slightly different, but still that idea of a very strong personalities in this little eco village. I mean, I'm not going to say the word cult, but you know, it's got that vibe. How did you, how did you come to this place as the one that you were going to set your story in? Well, okay. Uh, so I 
spent a lot of time working on a first draft of a, a novel that did not work. So I wrote 90,000 words uh, of a book that was not set in this place. Uh, and um, it was a horrific experience. Um, um, maybe we'll talk about that later. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, when I handed it in, I knew it didn't work. So it was not a surprise when my publishers said, no, this, this doesn't work. Uh, but the best thing was uh, that, you know, I, I'm really lucky to work with some incredibly incisive, brilliant people. And um, across the board, they said, one of the things that's not working here is that you've not, you've not nailed your setting. You've not, you've not found a, a place that is going to be the glue that's going to hold this story together. And so uh, knowing exactly what they meant, um, I obviously cried for several days because I didn't have a place, <laughs> um, as you do. And uh, But then I remembered that in the first failed draft, in the bonfire of, of a novel that I wrote, um, I uh, that there was a character who, it, it was their dream to build an eco-village. So it, he, he was right at the very, very beginning stages of imagining this eco-village that he was one, one day going to build. And I thought, well, what are eco-villages like? Maybe there's something in that. So I did some research found a lot of them around Australia and around the world, but there just so happens to be this eco-village literally 15 minutes down the road from me that I had no idea was there. So I was like, ooh, that's a bit kismity. Looked at it. They turned out to be a demonstration eco-village, which means that they put a lot of time and effort into uh, you know, doing open days and webinars and seminars mm, yeah. and getting people on site to show them how to kind of be more sustainable. Um, and so I booked myself on this open day um and as soon as I, I took my I took my daughter and I, I dragged a friend along with me just in case it was weird and um I walked I, I drove through the gates and just went oh I can see it I can hear it I can feel it like I just know that this is right and I think the one of the reasons for that is is not only um was it very very beautiful the specific one that I went to and I think it is really important to to state that Pine Ridge in the book is fictional it's not based on this place it's an amalgamation of lots of different eco-villages but this one particular place is so beautiful and it's, it was actually not very far away from, um, you know, Gosford Hospital and train station. You know, it's not like it was completely cut off, but it felt completely cut off. Um, and it also felt a little bit odd because I think, you know, society these days is so individualistic and we are a little suspicious of groups of people that live communally. We are a little mm. bit like, what are they doing in there? Oh, that's a bit mm -hmm. odd. Who wants to live like that? I mean, the more I spent time with them, I was really enchanted by them. They're gorgeous. They're a beautiful bunch of people. They were so welcoming. They helped me so much with my research. And they are living in this really gorgeous, gentle way. Um, but because there's a stigma around it and because they, they kind of live a little bit differently, I was really keen to kind of harness some of that. I also think that with settings like that, you know, they are such a good device because as Christian said, there are lots and lots of people, lots of red herrings, but but also um, a, a lot of, um, it's like a dynamic cocktail and mm. you can kind of do whatever mm. you want with with, with that dynamic. Uh, but you can also trap people there mm. and, and mm. you know, see what they do. Have a particular group of people, you can decide who they are, but then you can almost kind of just let them let them bubble and let mm. them fizz and see what they do. It's 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 very cool. Um, and I, I haven't done that. Obviously, the, the safe place was just like it was a four-hander, three-and-a-half-hander. Mm. Sorry, can I ask a question? I'm sorry. I was throwing the format off. But <laughs> have you been back? To, do they know that you've written a book? I know it wasn't specifically based 
on on that place but do they I mean I, if I were them I'd be interested to read it well yeah I, I mean I I I went back they, they were kind enough to let us film the book trailer there so they completely know about it and they're, oh, they're, brilliant. Yeah. yeah they're fine with it the the founder was really really generous with her time and she definitely knows about it um I don't know if they've read it I'm not really in kind of constant communication with them um mm. So I don't know, but it's really obvious mm. that it's not their eco yeah. village, and I have just mm. I have used it as a device and as a setting for purposes of, of atmosphere, but also, as you said, for purposes of, of pulling in all these different personalities mm. and, and, and figures. It's the specificity, I think, which you do so well in in setting up that atmosphere, and it's it's so beautiful to read it. Um, Christian, you've done the same with nailing 1989 to the page. Yeah. I want to know what you did specifically and what the research around your writing studio or whatever looked like for you to just get us there straight into 1989. Yeah, well, I think the... I mean, I'm in love with the 1980s. It's a, I, and I was I was born in 81, so I was only, you know, I was a, I was a really little kid. And and I guess my memories of of being a teenager are early 90s, but my my memories of childhood are really 80s. So a lot of it was um some sort of in love with that period. I also think that um, you know, the 80s is the new 50s. You know, for so long the 50s were the nostalgic era. Now it's the 80s. You've got Stranger Things and things like that. That sort of uh, are romanticizing the 80s um so a lot of it was memory and then yeah and there was a lot of um a lot of really specific moments from my childhood that I that I that I took out and hoped were universal and and so far I you know I honestly don't really read the reviews but I kind of sometimes really early read them sort of like this you know? yeah yeah um, and a couple of people have mentioned things like uh you know Vianetta that everyone had and Fancy. It was, so it was fancy. It was a, it was a fancy. You wouldn't have it every night. No, you no. have it on a Sunday if you're lucky, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So little, little. It, what I did was I just brought out little details um, and, and sort of, and sort of, you know, put as many of, of those. I didn't want it to seem kind of, um, the same time I hate things, you know, there's a scene in Titanic where Billy Zane is talking about um, this Picasso paintings and he says, uh, Picasso, he'll never amount to a thing. Or so, I don't. He's not really, <laughs> Is he don't know Italian? <laughs> That's my Billy Zane. I'm not good at voices. Uh, maybe <laughs> actually, maybe Anna would be better. But I, I hate, I hate that sort of wink at the audience thing. So I, I yeah. tried really hard to, to avoid that. But at the same time, it was a bit of a, a bit of a love letter as well to the '80s and to my childhood. And then there, then you know, we have this amazing editing team. So. There were certain. Um, there was a car that wasn't available in Australia at that time, and there, and there was certain. God, I love editors. Take and so, so that was a huge. <laughs> that was a huge thing as well. But really, um, really, it's just kind of the the. Um, the spirit of the eighties that uh, that I wanted to stitch through, and um, and and I think we're all anyone who was even briefly alive during the eighties um, knows that. And things like all, all my favorite, most of my favorite movies and books, oh, not necessarily books, but most of my favorite movies are from the eighties. And as a sort of a, um, I really just drew on, yeah, d- drew on that love, but also that personal experience. Um, and mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I, I am expecting an email, multiple emails from people saying. Uh, you know, 
picking up those things that I that I that I left. But yeah. we love our readers. We totally love our readers. Um, <laughs> as I knew would happen, you know, I have 18 pages of questions and obviously we're going to run out of time. So I would like to let um, our lovely audience know that if you do have questions, uh, pop them in the chat, make them good, because as I said, I have 20 more questions. So make them good, <laughs> but don't let that intimidate you either. Pop them in the chat and I'll get to them. Um, Anna, I just wanted to ask you, both books have this very strong sense of parents who um, will do everything to protect their children and who are, you know, um, so deeply entwined with their kids. Yours in particular is really lays bare this idea of um, the roller coaster of, of motherhood and emotions. And through these two different storylines, two different sets of mothers with sons, why did you want to privilege that particular um, relationship, I suppose, as as your central kind of relationships in the stories? Because, um, because the original seed of the idea came from this conversation that I had with my friend uh, it, it, and, I, and because I was still so fresh in my early days of motherhood I mean I you know my kids are five and seven now and I can still consider myself in the trenches but I was very much so in the trenches when I first had this idea and I um I, I wanted to write about parental fear um and this book explores fear in lots and lots of different guises but for me, it, it is you know the, the the real throbbing vein in the book is is um, uh, parental fear. Mm. Um, so yeah, I I felt that really strongly. And then when I heard about the mystery boxes, uh, the, the first thing that came to my mind was, what would you do if if your son was involved in that? And then I fell down mm. the, the dark web uh, rabbit hole and and just was like, oh my god, I can't bear. Uh, the thought of my children ever um in fact mm. I mean to be to be honest it, it's my kind of gut reaction to any awful thing COVID what what's going to happen to my kids mm. climate change mm. what kind of mm. world are my kids going to inherit mm. my children my children my children and I just mm. think it's you know I I think that at some point I will run out of things to say about parenthood and motherhood but I both these books have been born out of a very specific place and I did really really want to explore how um you know similarly with with wild place and, and satanic panic how quite often with parental fear you know we live in such an age of, of risk and parents have constant eyes on them all the time we're subject to criticism and judgment and ridicule at every turn and I just think that the things that we do out of fear for our children can often be the things that end up hurting them the most, mm. you know, uh, in, and I think in the shadow house, there are a lot of different examples of that and lots of different consequences of that. Mm. We've already got, um, obviously, uh, uh, lots of questions coming through. Now, I, I need to reference this one from um, Grace, who's in there on her iPhone, because it, it's really a bad art friend moment, I feel here. Oh, Christian, oh, you often oh. lift names from real-life people, you know, and plant them in your stories. Is there anyone in Wild Place that we should know about? And apologies if this is a setup. I, I apologise. I feel like it's a setup, <laughs> um, but there, there absolutely is. There um so, so Kieran, there's two brothers in it, Kieran and Martin, Marty, who are, yeah, who, oh who are my God, I did not get that. Did you not? Did you not see that? Oh, now I see it. Very uh. early on. And, and one of the things we do, because Kieran's, Kieran's name is spelt, well, it's spelt wrong. I don't know what was wrong with his parents. <laughs> I don't know what, there was some sort of mistake. The real sort of Kieran, not the Kieran in your at, book. 
No, no, the real Kieran. Yeah. So, so what happened was I spelt Kieran quite often. I spelt it the right way, and we had to do a bit of a search and replace. But yeah, that they're, they're definitely too. Um, they're too brought from real life, and and it it was so challenging for me not to um, make them lovers. You know, because I, because I, I, uh, something that I really, uh, and now brothers, I couldn't do it. And, and, but I thought maybe I should write, should I write a sort of a fan fictiony chapter just to, and, and sort of sneak it in or something. But, um, but yeah, that, they were from, and actually my, this is another one that I actually don't even think Grace knows about, but, um, uh, in the book, Kieran, who is, is the teenager, or he's a young teenager, his best friend, Ricky, my best friend growing up was Ricky as well. But, but the Ricky in the book, it isn't a lot, isn't really like the the real Ricky, but um, yeah, so a couple of names, yeah. I should just make a note here to um, the other writers in the room, the irreverence with which uh, Anna and Christian both treat their publishers maybe isn't something that you should take into your ongoing relationship with your publisher. Just a small yeah. note there for well, anyone. Well, they're locked in. They're, I've got another <laughs> book already signed, so they're locked into me. So I can really, yeah, Anna just should be. I've got I'm not quite locked in yet. Yeah, yeah, Anna, Anna's being more careful. Um, let me, Anna, before you mentioned um, that that failed book, and I know that writers love nothing more and, and readers love nothing more to talk about failures. Obviously there was also a pandemic that you both had to contend with, but I want to ask you when you do hit that failure, which hopefully, Christian, you've also had in your life, otherwise we really all mm. do need to hate you, um, <laughs> you know, how do you, what happens then and how do you get yourself back up again to end up with this amazing thing? We could be here for a really long time because this is something <laughs> that I, I think in my brain I have really unpacked or processed this yet. But I, 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 I'm listening but I'm just turning lights on because it's getting really dark. But I'm, Are you leaving? I'm just going to shoot off for a while. Oh, yeah. my God. You need a ring light, Christian. Go, Anna. <laughs> so Tell us. rude. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, ironically, now that he's left the frame, I was going to say that one of the first things that I, I did was call Christian and kind of go, oh, my God, friend, what am I going to do? Um, I also called you, Kate, and spoke to you. That I, I, I have a, I'm really lucky to have a lot of wonderful writing friends that I can call and, and kind of freak out on the phone to, and they give me very sage and wonderful advice. Um, the other thing uh, that I did, I mean, Kate, you were really wonderful because, you know, your advice was to uh, find a way of throwing all the ideas up in the air and kind of moving them around. And, and um, my publishers, my, my wonderful, wonderful editor, Martin, <laughs> I, I, I really do value you, Martin, uh, said, you know, have you tried uh, you know, cutting it all up put in, and physically putting the pieces in a different order to see how that might work um so I did those things I went through uh, a lot of my writing advice books I sat outside with a copy of Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird and went through so you know she's got a fantastic uh chapter called Shitty First Drafts um and so uh, the, the 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 short answer is I did a lot of different things I freaked out a lot I had a lot of fear I think um when you write your first book and it gets published a large part of that experience is feeling like you've won the lottery and that, I think it feels like a happy accident and so the second book becomes about proving your mettle and so imposter syndrome just kind of blows up and becomes mm. everything because you yourself do not have the confidence that you can do that and you feel like not only are you you know you're, you're proving it to everyone around you you don't want to let anyone down my god I was like all oh, these people have invested so much in me and, and so much time and energy and I'm just awful and I can't do it um 
And so, yeah, it, 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 you psych yourself out. So another thing that you have to do is calm that down uh, somehow. And um, yeah, I, I, I still don't really know how I did it. And I, there was a lot of, uh, I think one of the biggest uh, kind of fear factors for me was, was the deadline as well. If, if you are a mm. debut author who's never worked with a deadline before, that's a really frightening thing and mm. a, a big culture shock as well. Uh, and I am up for any challenge. Don't get me wrong. Like I don't buckle easily, but that was, that was, that there, there was a fair bit of buckling going mm. on, but I but think, you, you know, it. just trying to get your, uh, using different strategies to get your uh, ideas uh, moving around, uh, get the blood flowing, go for lots of walks and mm. let people in. I would say let people in. Do not be afraid to, you know, don't, don't sit there and kind of cloister yourself away going, I, I will do mm. it, I will do it, I will make it work by myself. You know, collaboration is the best mm. thing that ever happened to me as a writer. Uh, it's the most enjoyable part of the job. And I would say that ultimately is, um, is how you get through it. Christian, what about you? Yeah, well, I was going to say that that first draft w- wasn't a waste either. I think that you you sometimes you just need to get to the good stuff. You need to to trudge through all that stuff to get there. And so so nothing's a waste. But I, but I'm I'm the same. I um I delivered a you know my first the first draft of Wild Place had a completely different ending, a completely different second half, and and I mean even you know the No Child, my first book was the fifth book I tried to write. You know, so there's so many um thousands and thousands and thousands of abandoned words but I never um yeah I don't think anything's wasted I think that's all just the you know the the on on the path to getting um to getting the right stuff um Laura and Mark have both um preempted in a way questions that I wanted to ask and I'll go to you first Christian because Mark Mm. has asked um how does your screenwriting help or hinder your narrative fiction and vice versa and that's really interesting to me how one is informing the other yeah, they, they both, they kind of talk to each other in, in lots of ways. I think um, I think from the, the writing novels into screenwriting informs how I kind of create characters and how I think about characters. And, and from, you know, when you write a script, every single word, even not even dialogue, but every single word on the page, even if it's action, everything has to earn its place. You know, when you've got 30 producers telling you telling you that it's bad and all of this stuff. So it, it really forces you to be economic and earn your place. And I think that that definitely trans, translates onto my, um, over to my writing. I think that I write, my novels get slightly shorter every one I write because I'm, I'm getting better. At the, 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 there's the same amount of story, but I'm getting better at telling it. You know, I, I feel like that my 10th novel will just be a list of plot points. That's how economic <laughs> I will be, you know, but no, they, they definitely, um, they, they definitely feed into each other, but it's also this sort of, um, you know, it's weird when, if I'm busy, if I've got a, if I've got a, a book deadline and a screenwriting deadline, you can kind of go from one to the other and, and it, it doesn't feel like extra work. It just feels like something, something sort of different. It, yeah. I don't know that they really, um, they, they're great. They, they just really work together in, um, yeah, in, in really interesting ways and feed back and forth into each other. And I think that, you know, the, the more you write, I think the more you write anything makes you a better writer. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I, I guess that, uh, that yeah, they just both feed into each other, I suppose. Do you have to divvy the time up, Christian? Are you doing like two things in the same day or or like dividing sometimes. the week up? Yes, sometimes I try, I, 
I try to block my time out, but it, it you know, to, to be just working on one thing for solid weeks, but it, it rarely happens. So quite often I've got to go, go between. I try not to do the same thing in a day, but ev- every now and then it happens. But I'm also a very lazy person. By 1 p.m., forget it. I'm done, you know. So I, I'm, I do need to kind of, um, yeah, I do kind of need to break it up. But, yeah, sometimes uh, on, on, on rough days I've gone from one to the other and it's, um, yeah, you know, on, on one hand it's hell, but on the other hand it's really um, kind of fun. You know, I, I, I was chatting this about, to this with Martin recently about how, you know, with the wife and the widow, it, it, it was, I was really, I blew past the first deadline. I was, I was really late. And with, with Wild Place, it was not quite as bad, but sort of similar. And, and it made the experience pretty stressful. But then as soon as you're, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Anna, but as soon as you're on the other side of it, that stress becomes, I don't know. I kind of love it. I think that I, I have such fond memories of that really stressful time. I don't know if that, makes yeah. sense but yeah yeah but i would agree? say i do but but, but it, that, that's the difference between panic and adrenaline like you know when, when yeah. you're on the, the the one side you know panic is is horrendous it's awful it's mm. the stuff of nightmares um and it also is completely creatively crippling as well it's it's mm. um you can't and, and you feel that as well i think that's why it the the, the cycle is so awful you know the the, the more you mm. panic um the less creative you are, the less productive you are. And then the closer you get to your deadline, the more you panic. But, you know, mm. like it just goes on and on. But then once you get past that point and you get to like, you know, your, your structural and then your copies and stuff, and, and then it becomes like, yes, this is exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's and you really get fun. It's really fun and the adrenaline kicks in and, you, and creatively as well, you're so much more freed up and, and the ideas start to feel like fireworks. And it, they also mm. feel at that point, I remember this very clearly with the safe place, they start to feel like memories where you go, of course, mm. this is why this happens. Mm. <gasps> oh, brilliant. But when you're stuck in those early stages, and, and for me, this didn't happen with the safe place because, you know, when I first wrote, my first draft it was on my terms but with this one my god I was just so frightened so Mm. frightened so I I try to keep I try to keep uh, reminding myself that you know my 3am thoughts now are um are sometimes deadlines but they're sometimes like a plot things like how am I going to how am I going to do this or when am I going to finish this and I try to remember and keep sight of the 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 idea that my 3am thoughts used to be um you know how am I going to make rent and or I might be a couple of days <laughs> late on that bill, you know. So yeah. I, I really try to keep sight of that. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's it's sort of different in a way. But yeah, I try to keep sight of that. Sometimes I'll be I'll wake up in the middle of the night and have the most ridiculous, stressy thoughts, and then I'll catch myself and just think, what What are you thinking about? Why are you obsessed with it? Yeah, I, I think that's um. Well, that's yeah, perspective, <laughs> and yeah, well exactly. done on that. <laughs> yeah. This Thank is you. such a delicious conversation, you two, and we could go on all night. Although I know that at some point Marie will tell me to stop. Um, so a couple of more, a couple more questions. I feel mm. like this one's just a little loaded and fairly quick for you, Christian. It is from mm. Martin Hughes. I will just say that. Who's asking, Christian? What's your first love, novels or screen? And you are not obliged to answer here, recorded no, forever. No. <laughs> With all honesty novels are my are my uh, bag you know that when 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 I was a kid the uh, you know when I wanted to be a writer it was wanted to write novels and that's what I will that's what I'll do forever 100 uh, percent. yeah and I would say the same thing if uh, Martin wasn't in the room 
Great. Excellent. Well done. Good question, Martin. And uh, Laura's question to you is about your other love, acting, and how that acting informs the way that you write and your characterization. And there's also a question in there about audiobooks too, because you do that terrifying thing of reading your own yeah. audiobooks. Amazing. Not terrifying. I love it. I want to do more of it. Listen, authors, if anyone needs like a, a British voice for their audiobooks, I'm, I'm for hire. I love it. I love it so much. Um, yeah. So uh, funnily enough, when I first kind of had that little shy thought about writing, my first instinct was but you're not qualified. You've got, you know, you've never written a word. Like, why Why would you think that you're qualified to do that? How embarrassing. Like, what are you going to say when you <laughs> submit, submit your work? Like, I've, I've done nothing. I've done nothing to do with writing. But then, you know, the, the, the more I wrote and the more I kind of thought about it, I'm like, well, no, because it's all storytelling, isn't it? It's, but it's, it's just using a different medium. So novels are using words instead of your physical body and your voice, which takes some adjustment. But ultimately, mm. there's a lot of crossovers. You can I've, I've used so many of the techniques that I used at drama school. Um, I uh, Kate listened to your first-time pod um, interview with Charlotte Wood recently, and she talked about Uta Hagen, and we did loads of Uta Hagen work mm. at RADA. And it was I was like, yes, you know, we, we're using all of these things, like inner tempo, inhabiting the character, um, you, you, you know, I could go on and on and I won't because it's boring. Um, but like <laughs> I use so much of that stuff uh, and, and it's wonderful to me. Um, uh, and I think that I love writing in part because it is my bridge to my first love, which is, it, it, I mean, it's performance and storytelling. Uh, I, I love the essence of it. I love being able to uh, inhabit a character. I love being able to have a go at being the director and the scene mm. scenographer and, and the cinematographer and, and the, the, the costume designer and all of those things. It makes me endlessly happy. Um, but yes, in terms of uh, technique and, and the things that I am practically using, the, the list is just endless. And I, every time I sit down to write, I find that I'm using more and more of those things, which is amazing to me. Amazing. Because I thought it was done. I thought it was dead, but it's not. <laughs> So interesting. And um, for everyone who's here tonight, you know, you can go along and hear these two answering a bunch of different questions at a whole bunch of events and you must, you must um, read both of their books. Um, before I let you all go, though, I want to ask, because you are both, Anna and Christian, such kind of wonderful members of the writing community as well, very supportive, although there is a note here from Valerie that uh, you are now impossible to find on Twitter and uh, the socials, oh. Christian, so you may need oh. to address that to us all. I've completely gone off social media, which is, yeah. It was sort of a combination between of, uh, you know, when we were writing clickbait, I, I spent weeks and weeks researching terrible social media stories. And um, I don't know, I kind of think it's awful. And then there was all this stuff about Facebook recently. And um, uh, and also, like I said before, I'm very lazy. You know, I asked um, Grace, the firm publicist, and I said, is it okay if I go off social media? And she sort of said, you know, like, if you're really good at it, like Chris Hammer is, you can use it to sell books. But if you're just really bad at it, like like you are, then it, it, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Just go for it. So no, I'm 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 so sorry, but you can always email me through my website. You can go to christian-white.com, and you can always um, there you go. There. 
bombard him there because he's yeah, bad at the socials. But yeah. can you two, before we let you go, because people obviously have now both of your books in their shopping cart at Readings Online, even though Readings is opening at 6pm on Friday night for you to just dance about in, can you recommend us something that you've been reading, it might be recent, or something you've been loving recently? Anna. Yes, uh, so first. other than Christian's wonderful book, which I adored, and go everyone go and buy it. Uh, okay, uh, Paul Hawkins, A Slow Fire Burning. Uh, S.A. Cosby, Razor Blade Tears. Uh, Catriona Ward, The Last House on Needless Street. That is maybe my favourite book all year. Uh, I am about to read uh, Chris Hammer's Treasure and Dirt, Mark Brandy's The Others, and Benjamin Stevenson uh, has just given me the proof of his new book, which I'm really excited about. Wow. Big reading list. Amazing. Christian, go. That, that was way better than mine. I got, I've got Benjamin Stevenson's latest, uh, Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone. Is I'm so excited. It sounds so good. Yet, but I am absolutely going to read. And, um, yes, obviously, aside from Anna Downs, um, uh, J.P. <laughs> Pomari's latest one is amazing. Um, I've recently got into, this is an author that doesn't need plugging because he's huge, but I've recently discovered Don Winslow and he is um, – uh, ridiculously amazing. I, I read his um, The City on Fire. I think it's not coming out. I think actually it's not coming out this year now. It's been pushed to next year, but it's incredible. And then I just started reading back um, through his uh, catalogue and anything by him is amazing. Fantastic. You two, Anna Downs, Christian White, uh, and your books, The Shadow House and Wild Place. You are absolute superstars. We are very lucky to have you. Thank you so much for joining our gorgeous um, gang here tonight. And, Marie, I'm going to hand back to you. Um, thank you to Readings, who has kept us all sustained uh, during this oh. long lockdown. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. That was an amazing Thank amazing you, job. Kate. Love yeah. you so much. You're yeah, the best. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Kate. Head over to Kate's podcast, read Kate's books, do read it. Anna's books, read Christian's books. But I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kate, for giving for your time tonight. Pleasure. Such a fantastic conversation with Anna and Christian. Thank you to both of you for being really wonderful uh, interviewees in this situation or interrogation suspects. Who knows? <laughs> It's time to read a book because we're now allowed out of the house mostly, so definitely that's the time to go buy a book and go back into your house and read it. But you could also read it outside. You could read it on the beach. You could read it anywhere you like. You could buy multiple copies. But just for now, on behalf of Affirm and of Readings, I'd love to give a really huge thanks to Kate, to Anna, to Christian, to all of you here tonight, and I hope to see everyone outside of their lounge rooms and in person again really soon. Congratulations and enjoy. Thanks for tonight. Thanks, everyone. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast on our website. We'll also find all kinds of bookish recommendations and plenty of great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to e news or to receive our free monthly print newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Production for this podcast was by me, Nico Callan. The show's music is by Tom Haskins. All of our podcasts are recorded and produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and that sovereignty was never ceded.